Coming up on This Week in Computer Hardware, AMD RX 5600 XT beats NVIDIA 2060. That's quite a firmware update, people. Sonos drops support for older products, and so much mayhem is going to happen in phone voting. All that and more coming up next on Twitch. This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you from LastPass Studios. Using the same password everywhere is a security nightmare waiting to happen. LastPass easily creates unique passwords for every site. Visit lastpass.com slash twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twits This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 550, recorded on January 23rd, 2020. BIOS updates, boost it or brick it. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Zapier. Zapier connects all your business software and handles the work for you so you can focus on what matters most. Right now through the end of next month, go to zapier.com slash twitch for your free 14-day trial. Welcome to Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware, Twitch weekly show that aims to bring you all the hardware news, whether it's mobile, console, desktop, or laptop. We are down, and today we are going to be all over and down on the Internet of Things, specifically Sonos, and there might be a little bit of carrier-based rage. But first, ladies and gentlemen, we should introduce Mr. Sebastian Peek. I'm Patrick Norton. Sebastian, joining us from PCPer.com, is not full of rage as I am, but is full of hot tips on the new 5600 series cards from AMD. Yes. Sir. Because this was... Hey, Patrick. It's good to be back with you <laughs> here as I awkwardly transition <laughs> to the first story. Um, yeah, we talked about this last week, I think. Uh, at CES, AMD, their announcements were probably right. the most interesting thing in the PC hardware space because they had information about this new crazy 64-core processor for $4,000. They also had... For the mainstream graphics segment, a new GPU announced, and not the not completely new. Essentially, this is a, a kind of a reduced version of the RX 5700. So this is the 5600 XT, right. and of course, graphics companies do this. They they create different configurations, slightly cut down configurations. So this is the same Navi 10 GPU that we have seen in the 5700 series. It has actually the same streaming processor count as the 5700. So these are both, essentially, they take a 5700 and they downclock it. But in addition to the lower clocks, they announced that this would only have six gigabytes of memory. And importantly, they were clocking the memory at a much lower speed, so it had a, a lower data rate. So we were only at a total of 12 gigabits per second of memory uh, speed versus 14 with the 5700 series cards. So right. less and slower memory, much, much slower clocks. Like we're talking a game clock that would only boost an average of about 1375 megahertz versus 1625 with the 5700. And a max boost clock of only 1560 megahertz versus 1725. Uh, everything else the same, the same kind of like ROPS, texture units, I mean, so a lot of the same capabilities, but those numbers are certainly, they sound kind of large, 10, 15 percent. What's the, what's the actual impact on frames per second or, or, or the kind of the quality settings you can use on a GPU when you drop it down that much? Well, you know, Patrick, I'm glad you asked that question because it would have been interesting <laughs> to look at that difference, except just before launch, AMD dun, dun, emailed dun. myself and all the other reviewers and they said, hey, we have a new BIOS update we need you to use. 
which literally invalidated any previous benchmarks that we had. So I was lucky cool. enough to have been sampled directly by AMD with the Sapphire Pulse card. And Sapphire was, I think, the first to get the new BIOS. So actually, a lot of the cards that will be out in the wild will already have this new mm -hmm. BIOS. We'll get into that. The, the BIOS update, I'll just okay. talk about it right now. It, it was huge because it took what felt like a combination of reduced hardware capabilities with the new card compared to a 5700 and intentional product segmentation, which is where they just, you know, they figure out, okay, what's the gap we need to have to keep the value proposition, but make it an attractive upgrade to move up to the next card. They, it kind of threw all that out the window in response to NVIDIA and said, okay, well, actually, hey, the, the hardware was capable of running a lot faster all along. Here's about a 200 megahertz upgrade in speed across the board, boost clocks, game clock, and faster memory data rate. So it turns out the memory that was on these boards from the very beginning was 14 gigabit per second memory, not 12. That was an artificial segmentation decision. And so the product, if you have the latest BIOS update installed... Uh, is far closer to a 5700 than it was when they announced it at CES. So there's oh, that 10%. Really? So it's it's literally a 10% jump because I ended up doing some benchmarks before and after the BIOS update. But uh, we're talking, uh, let's say, let's see, before the BIOS update, if I scroll down to that section here, because I, I, I uh, did all the benchmarking and then there's a section in the review called the BIOS Update Impact in the content. And so I just quickly did Far Cry 5, which is a DirectX 11 game, and then Metro Exodus, which is a DirectX 12 game. And before the BIOS update, the 5600 XT was in Far Cry 5, which is a very like AMD-friendly game. It's a, or an AMD-optimized game was actually slightly faster than an RTX 2060. This is a card that when it was mm -hmm. announced at CES was supposed to compete with the GTX 1660 Ti. And this, the 2060s a, a faster card than the Ti. So this is actually just a little bit faster in, in Far Cry 5. But then with the new BIOS, it goes from 75.5 frames per second average at 1440 Ultra to 84 which is a big jump. It's 11% jump in average frames per second. And right. that comes very close to an RTX 2060 Super, which is only a couple of frames per second <laughs> faster. So it, And then the same thing with Metro Exodus, only Metro Exodus, um, it was just a little bit faster, than, again, than the 2060. But with the new BIOS, yeah, it's like the same story. It's only two frames per, less than two frames per second separated between the, the 2060 Super and this, the XT with the new BIOS. So what they did was, and the, across the board, that was not the case. Like you, you'll find more uh, NVIDIA friendly games, like things like Final Fantasy uh, uh, 14 Shadowbringers, which I tested. Games like that, that NVIDIA tends to win because those are more optimized for NVIDIA. They have GameWorks features. That's where you'd still see an RTX 2060 eking out a win over this new 5600 XT. But it goes back and forth. And ultimately, right. more often than not, with the updated BIOS, this new 5600 XT was faster than a 2060. Uh, not but, I mean, 2060. I will say, in, in NVIDIA's defense, you know, you're looking at the 
better part of a 20% performance uh, lead over that 5600 XT, but um, for Final Fantasy uh, Shadow Shadowbringers. But, you know, it, this is also one of those things where, again, we've said this before, it is amazing what kind of performance improvement can be wrung out of a graphics card by optimizing the BIOS, by optimizing the game. Uh, for the card, or more accurately, optimizing the you know the the drivers for the card for the game. But this is also kind of nuts when you look at the the swing where the card goes from 20% faster to 20% slower, depending on which game you're running, uh, and how much money, for example, say maybe Nvidia plowed into convincing this company to uh, update the game or or build the game around their drivers um, yeah. or feature set. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, you know that's pretty huge. But then getting you know, World of Tanks Encore right back down there. Well, you know, there's 97.0, 97.5 frames. That's uh, it's yeah, it's within the average. Close. <laughs> yeah, it's within the rounding error almost. Like it, it, it there's a plus minus uh, with any of these tests. Although World of Tanks World of Tanks Encore, it's one of those uh, standalone benchmarks. It's very consistent. If you run that over and over and over, right. you'll see results within a half frame per second every time. Uh, on the same hardware so it it's interesting to see like in, in certain games they're virtually tied the rtx 2060 and the 5600 xt with the bios update where it would have been sitting down far closer to a 1660 ti and you have the the reason they did this the reason it has to now trade blows with the rtx 2060 is because after they announced their product of course long time partner of NVIDIA EVGA announced their $299 RTX 2060, which initially is or was only selling for $279.99, uh, <laughs> specifically targeting the $279 price point that AMD set with their card. So it's we get the new card announcement from AMD. It seems kind of underwhelming. It's got less memory. It's slower memory, much lower clock speeds than a 5700. And it, they're still charging 279 for it, which is the same price as a GTX 1660 Ti. And then, of course, the games that they showed on stage, they had a few performance charts. And these are all AMD-optimized titles, of course. Why wouldn't you show that as AMD? And showing how you can get about 10% better performance at 1080 Ultra than NVIDIA at the same price point. NVIDIA dropping the price of the RTX 2060 like they did down to $300. Then made AMD's announcement seem even more lackluster. And then the the knockout punch, and that's EVGA's term because they called the new card the KO, saying that it was going to knock out the competition at 279. Yep, and there's there's the graphic from straight from EVGA, right from their website, uh, if you're watching the video. And so that that basically it, it, AMD had to respond. And they could have responded with a price drop, and we expected that. You know, here at PC Pearl, we were talking about a price drop of maybe about twenty dollars. That made sense to me. Two fifty nine when this hit the market. They did that with the fifty seven hundred launch. They dropped the price by fifty dollars for the fifty seven hundred XT before it launched. But instead of eating into their margins and lowering the price, they just made it faster. They said, "Hey, we have all this untapped potential." And honestly, I had been given advanced warning, not warning, but I was sort of tipped off by AMD that, hey, you know, this product has quite a bit of overclocking headroom. And that 10% number, I think, is what was floated out there is, hey, you, you can mm -hmm. overclock this quite a bit. And that was going to be part of the review. And when they released this BIOS update instead, 
there's your overclocking headroom basically pre-applied. And it does raise the TDP of the card by about 10 watts from 150 to 160 in its performance BIOS mode. As a lot of these cards are going to have two BIOS modes on a little switch on the PCB. Right. Uh, which, by the way, footnote, does make the process of flashing the BIOS a little bit less hairy because if something goes horribly, horribly wrong and you lose power in the middle of flashing this to get the faster speeds, then you can always switch it over to position two and your card isn't bricked anymore. So that that was nice. But even with the BIOS update applied in the performance mode, this card had exactly the same power draw as an RTX 2060 under load. I found that interesting. This hmm. test platform, sorry, this test platform with both uh, the RTX 2060 Founders Edition that we tested and this 5600 XT after the BIOS update was applied, both drew exactly 235 watts from the wall in the same gaming load with the same processor. Everything else is the same. So huh. that's pretty fascinating. It's like they they absolutely targeted the RTX 2060 here, just like they had initially positioned the card to be a little bit faster than a 1660 Ti. Then here they just, they obviously in their labs, they looked at what they had to do as far as clock speeds, total graphics power, everything else to match or exceed an RTX 2060, and they did it. Although it is interesting to see that power draw at 235 and consider that the RTX 2060 is on a 12 nanometer process, and this is seven, but AMD has definitely focused more on the performance aspect of the seven nanometer drop than on power savings with their GPUs anyway. So they they push it as far as they possibly can to get higher clocks, and that's just the result. Like the voltage is a little bit higher and the power draws a little bit higher, but hey, in the end, 235 watts, that's total power draw, including the processor, including the memory, and the overhead of an 80-plus gold power supply. So you're only getting, you know, 90 or so percent of that power. But I overall, it went from a, a review where I would have said, you know, uh, not that exciting, like with the RX 5500 XT review before this. It's okay. I would like it a lot more if it was cheaper. And then the review suddenly becomes... Wow, it's got 10% better performance after I flashed it, and you don't have to do anything else. And it's trading blows with a more expensive card because that that 279 number with the RTX 2060 KO, that's pretty much unobtainable. Uh, you, I don't know if you can be notified and buy it directly from EVGA at that price or not. Last I checked, it was out of stock, and the least expensive one that you could actually buy was I think 310. Somewhere in the 310 to 320 range. So if you buy one of these RX 5700 or 5600 XTs somewhere and every mm -hmm. company is offering BIOS updates, that was the next thing on the list. Uh, just kind of the availability of those updates, where to get them. They're all offered by the vendors. PC Games N had a nice story up that they've actually put up with the launch and have been updating it consistently with every card and the links to the official BIOS updates from those vendors. So, you know, ASRock and Sapphire and all PowerColor and all the card companies out there with RX 5600 XTs that have been released and where to get their official uh, update. And honestly, AMD's update tool for these is pretty easy to use. It's Windows-based. <laughs> you can, you can if you really want to, you can put it on... 
a floppy and you can or a USB drive and put like free free DOS on it, boot up your system and do command line, which, you know, a couple of years ago, that's how we were updating the BIOS on graphics cars was booted into a command line interface. And I know that the type. Yeah. Don't you miss typing in ROM names no. like two Y six one four oh one one six Y. It was the y 13 X. to 15 letter and number ones where yeah. you'd be typing and typing and typing and typing and typing. Um, and then get it one uh, of the characters uh, wrong and have it, uh, you know, invalid, invalid. What do you mean invalid? Or you type it all in and you have the wrong BIOS and it's just like invalid product. So this is simply open up a little window and it you hit like find and locate the new ROM file and then hit apply. And I was still a little scared during the process, but it flashed just fine and no complaints. So. If you're on Linux, though, if you're on another operating system, then, yeah, you can make yourself a bootable uh, free DOS uh, flash drive and, and do it that way, the old-fashioned way. I don't know. It reminds me of, you remember buying, like, a game and then installing the CD CDs and then basically downloading an even larger file that was the actual functioning game that they didn't put in the box that they shipped to you? I'm, I'm getting a little old school yeah. now. Well, um, well, and then there's the transitional <laughs> period where you would still buy the physical box in the store, take it home, and, it, and then if you'd read the fine print, it said that there was nothing in the box. It was just a download code. So, I mean, yeah. if you bought one of these cards, you're actually physically getting a card that does work. It's just not as fast this is until good. you update it. But it's a free update. It's not like they said, hey, for $20, you can unlock greater performance in this. Not that we've ever seen a company ever sell update cards to make processors faster after they sold them. Well, it... <laughs> It is. It's odd for me to look at this. I mean, you know, listening to your description is essentially we shipped a card at a price point to compete with this thing, and then they dropped the price in this thing, or at least one company did. So we decided to overclock the card because there was so much thermal room in the TDP for us to play with. So that it's actually shipping in the overclocked version that we could have shipped you in the first place for the same amount of money, but didn't want to because we have 17 cards in our <laughs> stack. Right. Um, right. You know. Well, they don't have as many as Nvidia. If this was Nvidia. <laughs> They would just release, you know, a TI Super right. GTX KO. You know, there's there's always some extra letters <laughs> to add to the end of the name. And actually, it's funny because Steve at Gamers Nexus, uh, there's a video up. I think it came up last night on his YouTube channel, which uh, they, they took off the cooler and looked at this. And apparently, after asking some questions, they were able to determine that the GPU in EVGA's 2060 KO is a repurposed... GTX or RTX 2080 GPU. And of course, that GPU oh, was discontinued when the 2080 Super came out. So I don't know if these are defective 2080 dies that are then being partially or fused off. Inventory or some of right, NVIDIA's right. old inventory. Right. So that's, that's interesting because NVIDIA has quite a bit of resources, let's put it that way. And if they want to, they can just repurpose an older product and pick a price point to sell it at and they have the partners to uh, get it out there and advertise it. And it, it it's a interesting position to be in, but yeah, the <laughs> AMD doesn't have that. And now they have exactly four products in this current stack with Navi. So they have the 5,500 well, XP, 5,600 XP, which so is reasonable. really, <laughs> it, Sorry to talk over you. I'm just thinking, because if they hadn't done this BIOS update, they could have released this faster version as an XT. Like, the fact that they came out with this and called it an XT, XT is the faster version, essentially. Maybe higher right. core count, 
they could have had a 5600 and then later had a 5600 XT for 10 or 20 dollars more just like Nvidia does a card and then a TI version of the card 1600 1600 TI and then 16 or 1600 series 1660 TI 1660 super and there's the 1660 then there's the 1650 but there's also the 1650 super and it's just they they fill in so many different uh We've talked about this a lot in the last year. They have literally a car for every ten dollars. So let it go. AMD AMD <laughs> lost a chance to further segment their product stack by just making this faster, is what I'm trying to say. You know, they'll come out with another card in a couple of weeks and fix that problem. Maybe Please two. No. Maybe three. Uh-huh. So normally I don't really get excited about uh uh, board of Supervisor elections. Uh, I almost get excited about them in the community I'm living in um, because, you know, your supervisors directly impact quality of life in your city or your town or wherever you happen to be living if you have a board of supervisors. Uh, or maybe just because you want to see who's going to be arguing with the mayor for the next several years. Um, I can, however, name a board of supervisor election that has just guaranteed that it will get national, if not international, attention, uh, which is the... Uh, the King Conservation District, which is essentially Seattle, uh, the Seattle area. And uh, NPR's Morning Edition uh, reported this morning that, quote, Seattle area voters to vote by smartphone in first for U.S. elections. And mm. uh, this is kind of a big deal, right? So this is this is an area that covers uh, approximately 1.2 million voters. It'll probably be a lot less. Uh, NPR noted that the King Conservation District, i.e. the greater Seattle area, has, quote, in past years drawn the less than 1% of the eligible population to the ballot box, at least uh, for the supervisor's elections, which is to say not many people. Um, one of the things I particularly love about this article uh, is that it points out that uh, not just security experts, but the U.S. Senate is down on the idea of using phones for elections and uh, the uh, it's it's interesting right whenever you have the US Senate which has never really been known for its technical expertise um, uh, agreeing with you know security experts um, you know uh, it's uh, always a curious and slightly unsettling thing uh, they quoted uh, Duncan Buell who's a comp side prof at the University of South Carolina uh, in his specialization is election technology. And he said, uh, he told NPR, quote, there was a firm consensus in the cybersecurity community that mobile voting on a smartphone is a really stupid idea. I don't know that I've run across a subscriber security expert whose mortgages are not paid by a mobile voting company who thinks it's a good idea. Um, basically, or let me let me make that clear. He's basically saying anybody who, any security expert who thinks uh Voting via cell phone is a good idea. Is essentially working for a mobile voting company. Um, so uh, Democracy Live kind of was looking at the, what how this was going to work. You use your name, your birth date. You log into a web portal through the internet browser on your phone, um, and then they verify their submission of the ballot. They sign a signature. Uh, quote. Finney says election officials in Washington are adept at signature verification because the state votes entirely by mail. That will be the way people are caught if they log into the system under false pretenses and try to vote as someone else. So, uh, you know, and then they're going to print out the ballots. King County election officials office or the King County elections office is going to print out the ballots and, uh, 
and uh, the ones that match voter signatures will be counted. So, hmm, hmm. interesting. So, so it'd yeah, be a little bit more sophisticated to game the system then, but not impossible. Right. Yeah, maybe even not even particularly difficult, depending on how it's implemented. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna the uh, uh, I'm gonna quote uh, uh, Miles Parks from NPR.org. Um, where did it go? Uh, well, advocates say this creates an auditable paper trail. Many security experts say that because the ballots cross the internet before they are printed. Any subsequent audits on them would be moot. If a cyber attack occurred, an audit could essentially require double-checking ballots that may have already been altered. So, you know, the first question is, where do they keep the records of the signatures and how secure is that database? Or how likely are they to catch people who have not voted before, whose information is being spoofed, or, 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 or. It's going to be interesting. It's going to gather a lot of attention. Uh, it was also notable to me, I, we're not right a politics or an election podcast here by any stretch of the imagination, but this is another case where more of your life is moving on to, potentially moving on to a smartphone uh, or yeah. a case where your hardware and how it is employed could radically alter things uh, in your community. And, you know, it's it's in, in a day and an age where there's rarely enough uh, time or space in many communities to vote. This would make voting much, much more accessible, dot, dot, dot. But that's kind of a moot point if it isn't very secure. Um, yeah. I mean, but I'm, this is – we've talked about before the fact that yeah. so many people – do just about everything on a smartphone and maybe not our mm-hmm. audience so much. And I, we've said things or I've said things like this before or on my podcast uh, where right. it's, we talk about almost, it almost sounds like we're disparaging people who use PCs or at least sometimes I, I make them across that way. But I'm just talking about the most mainstream, the, the people who are right. not enthusiasts who don't play PC games at all. And their idea of gaming is playing something on a phone where they're playing Yahtzee right. with their friends on their smartphones. And if, if it's Snoops. like my family, it's there's no Snoops. one in my family who does anything on a computer at all. I'm the only one. It's my mom, my sister, uh, my wife, any of her friends, uh, her sister, like anybody I can think of right now, they do everything on a smartphone. The right. only divide is whether they're on the Android side of things or if they have an iPhone. That's literally the only difference. But everything is done on a phone. And anytime somebody wants something printed or actually needs to do some real work, guess who gets a text message? So it's like, oh, hey, can you print this for me? And it's my job to do that because I have computers and I have a laser <laughs> printer and stuff. And I, you know, I know how to do these things. But if something needs to be scanned, if something needs to be printed, or if there's an application that they need that isn't on a phone, I, I'm that resource for them. So it's just if if voting comes to their phone, there's something that like, oh, cool, it's an app and they'll go through whatever process they have to go through to, to validate it. And they would be very happy with that. We wait with bated breath. I, I, I for one, never thought I would be excited about watching a supervisor election in Seattle. Uh, but I, I, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. I'm still not. <laughs> Even with the technological ramifications of it, city council or some kind of like local controller, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I don't care about that election. I'm sorry. You say that now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wait till I get a little, a few more gray hairs, and I might start to care. 
This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Zapier. Zapier connects all your business software and handles the work for you so you can focus on what matters most to you. Do you want to sit around messing about with things or do you want them to just go to work? Look, growing a business is hard. You don't want to be wasting hours every day moving data from emails to spreadsheets to CRM to wherever you need it to go. It should just happen, right? And that's where Zapier can help. Zapier has over 1,500 apps and is the easiest way to automate your work. So you can focus on what matters most, connecting your business software to engage your leads instantly, to automatically import new customers, to notify your team about opportunities. And part of that is that Zapier is customizable. They support multi-step zaps, so the possibilities are virtually endless. You string it from thing to thing to thing till the things build the sales you need to keep growing your business and keep everybody happy. It's not painful, right? You can build the solution you need in minutes. No more wasting your time on tasks that you know could be automated because that's exactly what Zapier was built to do. Now, just go to zapier.com slash twitch. You connect the apps you use most. You let Zapier take it from there. Best of all, it's easy to build the exact solution you need in minutes without writing code or asking a developer for help. And it's, it's you know, sometimes it's nice not to have to go to the, through the whole development process to do something you can do by clicking three or four times. Join more than 4.5 million people who are saving an average of 40 hours per month by using Zapier. Seriously, this is amazing, right? Make more time to grow your business right now through the end of the month. Try Zapier free by going to zapier.com slash T-W-I-C-H. That's Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash Twitch for your free 14-day trial. Zapier.com slash Twitch. And we want to thank Zapier for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. I like making things easy. I like automation that isn't emotionally traumatic to uh, to set up. I also like it, if you're watching the video, when I sit up tall and I actually put my head in the part of the frame where it's supposed to be. Uh, Microsoft started rolling out developer kits and emulators for its dual-screen Surface Duo Android phone and Windows 10X-based Surface Neo. If you have been waiting for Microsoft's <laughs> return to phones by way of Android, or you're just excited to see more dual-screen Android devices, you can officially get excited now. Hey, but this is the right kind of dual screen. This is the kind of dual screen with a pronounced (laughs) bezel and hinge that I'm excited about this because the dev kit going out tells me people are A, going to be creating software that effectively uses both screens, and B, this is getting closer to realization where... You know, they're getting the developer support so that when this product launches, they have apps that actually make use of what this can do instead of it simply being a way to multitask, which is also great. Even if the only thing you ever do with this is have uh, YouTube playing on one side and, you know, doing some sort of productivity on the other side, like email or surfing the web, I guess, if that's considered productive for research purposes. At the same time, because right now, to do that on a mobile device, you have things like picture-in-picture on larger Android phones where you can have one app either floating in a little window off to whatever corner of the screen you want to put it, or you might be able to do a split screen depending on your phone. But you know, a split screen on a six-inch device is not ideal. And this ushers in a completely different kind of productivity experience on a very small device where you essentially have the real estate of a laptop display 
on something that folds up to half the size of your laptop and is significantly slimmer and lighter. And anyone who's tried to use an Android tablet for productivity in the past, I admire you if you were able to do it effectively. We, I remember uh, reviewing a product from Dell a few years ago that was, it looked like a laptop, but it was Android powered. And I was stuck looking for good Android tablet apps, which just were not even in the same league as tablet apps on the iPad at the time. This was a few right. years ago. So, uh, but again, if, if developers are actually trying to create, especially business oriented applications for this device, then it could be great because anyone who's used mobile-based operating systems know that they, the power management stuff is better than it is in Windows. You could potentially have a device that has significantly longer battery life. And if it's doing all the same tasks, the only thing you're missing is a physical keyboard, which, of course, there will be <laughs> solutions for that. I'm sure Microsoft will have their own keyboard accessory for this. but We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to to just kind of note, just remind everybody that that uh, Microsoft is getting their Android on. Uh, <laughs> Josh did a write up on this in uh, Peace Bird this week, um, and this uh, is an announcement about Sogo Sonos Sogos Sonos Legacy versus modern products. And if you're wondering what that means, um, if you're a Sonos enthusiast and I'll just wave my hand in the air there. Uh, or if you're frustrated with Sonos, I'll just wave my hand in the air there. Um, <laughs> they are classifying their products into two groups, legacy and modern. The modern products, of course, um, you know, will continue to get regular software updates. And, and it's interesting. Um, there's a kind of a list of the modern products and the legacy products. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the bridge... The Connect, uh, made from 2011 to 2015. The Connect Amp, which was made from, or the ones that were made between 2011 and 2015, because they continue to make the Connect and the Connect Amp, uh, you know, in 2016 uh, and later, right until they came up with the Sonos Amp, for example, that came out at the tail end of 2018. Uh, the first gen Play 5, which I have. Uh, and then a list of the ZP80, 90, 100, 120, which are, are fairly old. But it, it was interesting because a lot of these products, in some cases, um, if you bought a Connect Amp or a Connect uh, in 2015, you're going to be profoundly pissed off because it's essentially a four-year-old, five-year-old product at this point. Um, if you want to play five, a Gen 1 Play 5 like I do, okay, that's a 10-year-old product. And um, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is um, – you know, this is this is uh, you know Sonos claims that they cannot get for a lot of their partners. And there's over 100 streaming partners that Sonos works with at this point. Spotify, Tidal, these would be the ones you might think about first. Audible, something like that. Um, but apparently, the 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 APIs and software are getting so complicated that they claim they, you know, a lot of these products, these you know, eight ten year old products, which were specced with eight to ten year old chips, uh, are at the edge of their capabilities at this point, and they can no longer um, they can no longer kind of keep them running and uh, uh, or deliver the the customer the user experience that you want, and you know it's. Uh, frustrating would be one word for it if you own these products because they still sound fantastic 
um, they still work extremely well. They still seem to have, for all intents and purposes, no delay when you uh, start the product. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's something we're probably going to see more and more of uh, for these sort of single-use devices. You know, the register uh, got really intense about this. Uh, Thomas Claiborne uh, over at the register.co.uk. Um, and first of all, like a lot of sites, uh, the idea that, so if I have, if all of my stuff is modern, like for example, apparently my Play 3 is new enough, you know, Sonos Amp is new enough. If you have the Play 1 speakers, which is what we've done a ton of our listening on, um, those all have new enough processors to keep moving forward. Um, however, the one Play 5 we had, which was perfectly adequate and did a great job in our kitchen, would no longer, would A, no longer have received updates, and B, leaving it in our network would prevent us from using uh, any of the speakers or any of the speakers in our network from getting updated. And, uh, yeah. you know, so Sono says they're going to give you the ability to quarantine <laughs> your legacy gear. Um, you know, the, the part of the reason I mentioned the, uh, uh, the register article is because they pulled out some, I think it was a register article that, that pulled out some quotes. Oh, there it is. Um, uh, do, 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 do. Oh, there we go. Um, in their Q4 2019 10K, the financial filings, uh, where Sonos said, quote, we expect that in the near term, this backwards compatibility will no longer be practical or cost effective, and we may decrease or discontinue service for our older products. If we no longer provide extensive backward capability for our products, we may damage our relationship with our existing customers as well as our reputation, brand loyalty, and ability to attract new customers. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, this is a little frustrating, right? Because, you know, they're blunt. This is a complicated thing to keep running, right? 100 streaming services, voice assistance, control options, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm really, I'm really curious. I'm going to give at this point give Sonos the benefit of the doubt because when you think about it, if somebody's specking a product uh, where the engineering was set in place, uh, you know, eight years ago, <laughs> you know, 2010, that is a pretty aged chipset by modern standards. And if you've spent a lot of time watching streaming services, streaming audio services even over the last few years, you'll notice that they keep getting more and more complicated, more and more messy, and seem to be doing more and more things other than simply allowing you to play and stream music. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to give Sonos the benefit of the doubt here and suggest that they actually can no longer effectively support their older products, dot, 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 and not that they want to increase the billion dollar in revenue they make annually by forcing uh, their original customer base to upgrade to newer products. This is, you know, this is uh, challenging. I'll take, the, I'll take the less diplomatic view of this. Think about this. <laughs> Sonos, we talked about this fairly recently. They're the company that late last year we're offering 30% off coupons. Yep. 30% <laughs> off coupons in exchange for intentionally bricking and sending back yeah. to Sonos or taking to a recycling center your yeah. existing Sonos equipment. So there has been this trajectory with the company of, okay, we, we have to force obsolescence with these things because people are retaining their yeah. stuff at alarming rates for us. So we need them to brick their stuff to get a coupon to buy new stuff. Or how about this? Brilliant move. Because I can see if older older products, and you talked about chipsets, right. that's that's absolutely valid when you talk about things like enhanced, you know, voice 
capabilities and that sort of thing. Because these things, they come out, they have different kind of chipsets in them, different capabilities, multiple microphone arrays, all this stuff to manage, uh, the processing that has to take place on board. The device, those, those needs might go up. Sure. However, it, unless the technology that it provides the sort of interconnection between these devices in your home changes, if it's using the same wireless standard to go from amplifier to speaker, and if a lot of the stuff that happens offline is the same, then why would you force uh, people to quarantine off, uh, say, a, a set of speakers that are in the kitchen when those could just have reduced functionality? Like, hey, you know, those you can't use voice control uh, on these older products now, but they'll have a reduced uh, reduced functionality. Like, you know, failure to upgrade will reduce and re- reduce functionality on your network or something like that. Like, a, a pair of speakers at the end of the day is a pair of speakers. And, and until they're going to a completely different technology, either to connect them or because the audio has changed, which is not happening. It's not like they're going to 32-bit, right. 384 kilohertz, and the, the old stuff just doesn't support that natively because they could only go up to 24-bit, 44.1. That's ludicrous. And it's not like human hearing has evolved to the point where those speakers can no longer produce sounds that human beings uh, can well, interpret. Well, I, I don't think anybody's questioning they'll 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 play your you know your mp3 files or your your wave files or your your lossless uh flac files i think what they're claiming is that you know it's interesting right because they were they're able to do a fairly sophisticated amount of dsp uh on the older devices right you can correct your room by walking around with your with your iphone device you can have the speaker tuned to to deal with some of the the issues in the, the physical room you're in um i think you know I, I, i'm curious right i'm torn right because hey they went public last year they're a publicly owned company they they need to maximize shareholder revenue and they they want to do whatever they need to do to do that um because that's the way it works. Um, on the flip side, I can also th- think that in terms of dealing with some of these apps, as as the as the streaming apps get more onerous, that may be more challenging. Or yeah, you know, there's probably somewhere in between where they're like, eh, we could probably make it work, but screw it, let's force them to buy new stuff. Um, yeah, it's yeah. frustrating. And the 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 argument that it's not worth us putting resources into older products that you know by this point are nine plus years old in some cases. That, that makes sense from a business standpoint. I just think that some of this is probably uh, just doing what they think they can get away with to try to force obsolescence of some of these products that technically would still work even without receiving the latest software updates. It's it's. Right. I bet if there was some new uh, technology, some new codec that came down like MQA which I don't, I don't know how much traction that has, but that was the darling of the audiophile world a couple of years ago. So say some new codec happens and it doesn't support it without a software update and they withhold the software update. There's your, that's, we've gotten used to that. We've gotten used to, right. you know, technically you could probably put the latest version of Android on this device, but Samsung is not going to provide it or, you know, LG isn't going to provide it and you have to buy a new phone if you want this new feature or when Apple comes out with a new feature that absolutely would work on older phones but they've withheld it to sell new hardware and you know and it would take jailbreaking your old phone to get the feature enabled on it then you kind of see but Apple though they come out with these new features that they say are 
<laughs> you know, they, they require the new hardware. Well, they require the new hardware to do it maybe as fast or as well, but it's right. not like you're going to update your iPhone 6 and suddenly have the slow fees and uh, low light camera mode, which is just an extended shutter. But they want you to buy the new hardware. So if you want that stuff, you buy the iPhone 11 you saw on the TV ad that shows those features, even though it's not technically something that cannot be done by a multi-core processor, memory, camera, DSP, et cetera, et cetera. So some of this stuff is artificial. Some of it's real. I just find it kind of funny because we're talking about two-channel music. And yes, there's the DSP. I forgot about room correction. But a lot of that stuff, I think, is offloaded. Some of the the things that are the happening, like the processing and that sort of thing, are happening on the smartphone side. Right. But I don't know. I don't know enough to have anything but uh, suspicions about this, I guess. It just reminds us a lot. Uh, Jeremy was talking about this at PC Fur uh, last night that it feels a lot like what Logitech did with the Harmony remotes, where yeah. they received so much backlash over that that they sort of reinstated. And then, of course, the next year, the, had pretty much uh, killed it because they withdrew the app. Uh, so then there was no actual software support for these things. So it, it feels kind of like that. It does. We won't go into that one again because <laughs> no. then there will be out and out rage. Um, man, uh, I was also uh, laughing, uh, you know, speaking of firmware and updates and mayhem, um, I had a, a, uh, a MiFi 8000 that's that's uh, connected to the Sprint's network. And uh, it's been uh, really interesting because it had glitched. Uh, factory boot wouldn't fix it. Um, there's nowhere, you know, there, there's essentially no other way to firmware update. It wouldn't update, um, you know, the, the, you know, basically there's, there's the, the actual physical firmware and there's sort of a provisioning firmware or provisioning uh, a load you can put onto it. Neither one of those would complete a load. And I'm on my like second tech support call. Uh, the first tech support call, I was supposed to get a call back from them. Never got the call back. I called the tech support a second time. And essentially they're like, okay, um, this is one of our towers uh, near where you are in South Dakota. And uh, can you, can you, Go to this tower and then try to 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 you know <laughs> restart the thing to see if it will actually connect to the tower because you're in an extended area. Apparently, it turns out, um, and uh, it's uh, thankfully. So I, I literally like you know drive to the sort of you know outskirts of Rapid City. Um, I'm you know down at the end of a dirt street, parked across from a security, mobile security guy that's protecting a, a what I presume is a reasonably recently emptied uh, uh, building and lot, and uh, feeling the hairy eyeball from security as I go to the end of this dirt road and park my truck around 50 yards from a uh, a cell tower and then sort of reboot this thing to see if it it uh, uh, can provision itself directly from Sprint uh, and. You know, first it won't, but then it will do the update for the, the 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 basic file I need. Then I go around and restart it, and actually connects to the network for the first time in several days. Um, and then I go to run it, and so you know, so okay, so this has been weird, but you know, it's it's running now, so I'm happy. And I'm like, I throw a speed test at it, and uh, yeah, and I gotta say, in Sprint's credit, like all of their customer service agents were super patient, uh, and. They didn't have a lot to work with, but they they worked with what they did. And essentially, literally, uh, in order to get this this 
normally highly functioning hotspot to work. Okay, I, I got to drive next to a tower. It's fine. Uh, so I'm sitting next to the tower. So, you know, I'm literally like 50 yards from the tower. And the first time we run the speed test, um, I get zero as an upload speed and four megabytes down, which is considerably lower than the service I'm used to uh, getting from Sprint. Uh, and then I restart it. I'm like, okay, I'm on the phone with TechSport. And uh, I get 0.17 as an upload speed uh, and and four megabits down, uh, which I think is is pretty much useless when you have a 780 millisecond ping time uh, and you're literally watching either not being able to download a web page because, you know, your request isn't going up to the servers uh, or it, it, the end result is it turns out is I don't know, if, do, do we have that, that sprint map? And this has been something we've been talking about on and off for a couple of years. Uh, so this is what Sprint's coverage looks like in the United States. And uh, and I'm going to, I may mention, look at that. Look at all of that coverage. Isn't that amazing? What a glorious network we have here. And if you start clicking in on this, you'll notice, especially uh, in, in parts of the West, it magically goes from total coverage. Look at all that coverage. Look at that coverage. Oh, <laughs> all that gray is now roaming. And if you scroll over to the urban areas to the right, you'll probably notice if you if you get lucky, uh, if, if your internet condition is streaming this, if you're watching the video, uh, you'll probably notice it says extended 4G LTE, which is kind of a, a yellow, which looks like the 4G LTE yellow with hash marks on it or, or left to right kind of, uh, you know, diagonal lines across it. And that turns out to be extended 4G LTE roaming uh, or excuse me, extended 4G LTE dot dot dot, which turns out to be roaming but it's not considered roaming it's one of their partners and it's taken out of your uh your regular sprint coverage it's not something where you have like you know in my case like 100 megabytes and then they freak out or shut your account down or, or start making you pay or whatever they do but essentially you know you're allowed to, most carriers these days you have a very very small amount of roaming you're allowed to use without penalties or frustration from the carrier uh and in in this case what you know i thought would be uh, you know, 4G LTE, uh, because I looked at the map and didn't drill down. Now I know to drill down all the time to the actual physical area. Um, it turns out that 0 to 0.17 megabit up and 4 down is considered perfectly acceptable within the parameters of four extended 4G LTE coverage from Sprint. Um and immediately, as I'm trying not to start screaming uh, out of frustration on the phone, uh, all I can think of is this, this is just like unlimited data where you have 20 or 30 megabytes of data and then you get throttled to what is effectively an unusable 128 kilobits per second. Um, because if you've ever tried to load a web page over mobile connections being throttled, you will discover that 128 kilobits per second, which would have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, in 2008 or 2009 is utterly unusable even to load web pages and sometimes even things like Gmail and Facebook uh, in 2019. So, uh, you know, RTFD, <laughs> RTFM, uh, and, and make sure if you're using a coverage map or another tool like that, that you, you drill down as far as you can because the map, as they say, is not the ground, or in this case, the coverage, and the coverage you get may be a fancy marketing term for something that is barely usable. Oh, what a joy it is to work with the modern carriers. Lovely creatures they are. Lovely this creatures. This perfectly illustrates the point <laughs> I think I was trying to make months ago. We were talking about 5G, and we've talked about 5G a right. lot. But I would rather have 
the entire country blanketed in very high quality, reliable LTE before we worry about things like 5G and big markets. Because as you've discovered, and I've been to places in that area of the country. I, my wife and I drove to Montana right. together when my uh, sister-in-law was still living there. And there were parts of the country where there's just nothing or where there's a tower close enough to provide you with what looks like coverage on a map. But when you when you actually zoom in, you see, oh, that's actually a few miles that way. And I'm on this country road going across the state of Montana. And there's just absolutely nothing for 100 miles in every direction, including cell service. So it it would be nice if we just had more reliable coverage and it doesn't have to be super mm-hmm. fast. Well, how about five? How about five megabits up and down? <laughs> about, I don't need 20. I don't even I don't need something like that, but something usable because you get into the kilobits per second range. And right. the modern web doesn't like that anymore. I'm no. You know, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when my 768 kilobit per second cable internet connection that I was paying 50 <laughs> to $60 a month for was the fastest thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And the idea it of getting gorgeous. over a megabit per second was just unthinkable. And, you know, this is around 2000, 2001 or something. Not so much these days. Certainly better than my 38.6 that I ever got from my you know, conceivably 56K modem that I think the fastest modem connection I ever saw in my life was like 50, 52. But. Well, I just want to give a shout out to the, the patient, uh, if frustrated people uh, in Sonos tech support. They are, I, I, when I say frustrated, I mean frustrated by the lack of tools or resources they're given uh, or the fact that they have to explain to somebody that, uh, no, no, that's extended 4G LTE. And it's like, and when you ask them enough questions, they finally basically say, well, yeah, it's, it's roaming, but it's roaming that doesn't count against your thing. Like, so, you know, extended LGO. You know, extended 4G LTE may actually be 3G covered or deprecated 4G coverage. And uh, depending on our partnership agreement or whatever, um, I don't know. I, I find the mobile carriers to be frustrating, if not irritating. Um, but uh, not going to change anytime soon, I would imagine. But uh, I don't know. It's been interesting to watch. It's 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 been curious, right? It's, it's early in 2020. And we've already seen like, you know, hardware being killed off, uh, or, uh, or, or just, I don't know the whole, there's moments when I look at what's considered kind of standard, you know, the just standard procedure in terms of, you know, the, the relationship to truth in the hardware industry or, or the software industry or the tech industry. And I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed. Um, you know, it may also be just impacting me more directly, but, um, We'll see. We'll see what the rest of 2020 holds. So, any anything positive you can spin on this? Any any delightful stories coming up on PCPer.com that you can tease, or should we just end it on a low and cranky note? <laughs> I don't know. It's getting pretty dark. Uh, that's for sure. And I feel like we're getting older quickly, and uh, we're getting kind of inflexible. It's like that moment in Star Trek Six where Spock. And Kirk are talking in Spock's quarters, and he says, have we become so old and inflexible that we are, and other words that I've forgotten, because I can't remember the exact exact quote, but it's, <laughs> at some point I have to sort of reflect and say, okay, I'm cranky about this because uh, I'm used to something else. I am used to, I hit the power button on my amplifier and my speakers 
are now available and I can play music from my CD player that's connected to it with RCA cables or my turntable that's a couple of feet away or connect it with a Y cable to my digital audio player. And all this stuff is just Nothing. beyond what any like 13-year-old kid would do, which is Nothing literally play music out loud with young. a smartphone. What's that? No, so nothing makes me feel young quite like hearing you talk about your audio setup. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very old school when it comes to this stuff. It's all the fact that you still use a CD player just makes me cringe every time you say well, that. Well, I have so many CDs. I, I was cleaning recently and trying to find. I was actually rip missing all of something. The data off of them. I know. Put it on a I know, hard drive. It's such a. It's so daunting of a task. And, uh, and a lot of people have gone down this road. I have more Blu-rays than I thought. I had because there was a period uh -huh. of time where I was buying a movie like my wife and I would go out shopping and I'm like, hey, we should right. watch this movie. And I wasn't the kind of person who was paying for streaming services. I just bought a Blu-ray or a DVD when I wanted to watch something. And uh, we had Netflix, but it seemed like everything I ever wanted to watch wasn't on Netflix because they kept on getting getting rid of the old catalog titles and stuff. And I like old movies, too, and you just couldn't find those on there. And I didn't want to get Turner classic movies just to watch the occasional old film. So it was, okay, well, I'll buy another Blu-ray. And so I, it turns out I have several totes of Blu-rays I didn't even know I had. And many, many on the shelf. And then many of them, unfortunately, have never even been opened because I never had the time to watch the movie after I bought it. And I'm thinking about what it would take to actually get all of these digitized in and with a level of quality that I'm willing to watch because I'm mm -hmm. a snob when it comes to video quality. And that's why I was buying Blu-rays to begin with. And then I think about the CDs and that's just, that's overwhelming because there are stacks and stacks of CDs and like just, just the Rudy Van Gelder remaster blue note CDs I have total about 80. And then we get right. into all the other stuff and just, I have a lot of jazz and classical on CD and, and then I have, you know, we won't get into the record collection, which is one of those things that kind of spiraled out of control a few years ago. But yeah, to me, it's a very physical thing. Like you pick up a album and you put it on and you listen to it. And uh, I think for a lot of people, it's just I have Spotify or some other streaming service and I play it. And if my phone isn't producing enough volume on its own, I wirelessly connect it to a battery powered Bluetooth speaker. And that's good enough for me. So, in fact, I'm the only person I know who even has a a stereo anymore, like a, what used to be called a hi-fi or a stereo. No one else has this unless it's a living room setup. And the only thing they use it for is watching TV and all they watch is streaming stuff. So it, it's just, you know, it, nobody that I know listens to anything uncompressed. Nobody watches anything better than like, you know, five to ten megabit streaming. So... There you I realize that it's me. I'm the problem. No, no, you're not the problem. You're just one of the many answers to the problem. I, I look. I, I own. I use all the streaming services, and I still own Blu-rays or require Blu-rays because when I want the best possible experience, it's vastly better on a Blu-ray than it is on a uh, a uh, streaming service. Although, I will say. Uh, Part of the problem with that is having spent so much quality time with Robert Heron, I am vastly more attuned to issues in compression or, or color fidelity that are created by streaming. In any case, if you're not cheered up by now, well, 
There's always next week, ladies and gentlemen, because you're listening to this week in computer <laughs> hardware. We call it Twitch. You can find all the information on how to subscribe, assuming you're not, you know, sobbing and contemplating moving to your retirement hut far out of the range of internet technology. Uh, on a hill, my wife in the background has just thrust her arms up in the air with the victory sign with the idea of being away from the internet, which is a sign that we should probably make her close her Facebook account before she finds out any more depressing stories about kittens in Alabama. Uh, it's an invention, by the way. As far as I know, all of the kittens in Alabama are fine. There's no reason to call a home or panic. Um, but I was going to tell you about twit.tv slash T-W-I-C-H, which is the website where you can get information on how to subscribe. You can get all the older episodes, the audio, the video, or just go to your favorite podcatcher and search for This Week in Computer Hardware. Sebastian Peake is the man with the aging media collection. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I do. I run agingmediacollection.com. Uh, I think you should find that immediately. And you can find more of him over at PCPer.com. I'm Patrick Norton. And uh, you can find more of me over at AVXL.com. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we want to remind you that Twitch, T-W-R-I-C-H at Twit.tv is the email address. If you want to ask us a hardware question, we should have a couple of those queued up for you next week. But right now, thank you so much for listening or watching. I'm Patrick Norton. And I'm Sebastian Peake. We'll catch you next week on Twitch. <laughs>